Hey, my name is Jason, and you're listening to the Embrace Church Podcast. God is doing some incredible things at each one of our locations in South Dakota and Minnesota. To learn more about Embrace and maybe plan your visit, head on over to imembrace.com. We hope today's message brings you hope, inspires you, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive in to today's message. to embrace today. Grateful that you're with us today in worship. Uh, my name is Austin, and I'm uh, grateful to be with you. If you've been around Embrace for uh, any length of time, you probably know me as the St. Croix campus pastor. Uh, but if you are new to Embrace and you've never, I've never had the privilege of meeting you yet, um, we've got a, a kind of a, a variety of people on the teaching team. And so as you kind of get to know us, you're going to realize by the end of today that I'm the skinny one, okay? That, that's... I've been called worse, and there's worse labels to have, I think, than the skinny one, right? Uh, but you'll, you'll know over the weeks that uh, you'll find one is bald, and you'll find that one of them is bald with a beard. Uh, you'll find one of them is good-looking, so that's, that's not too bad, right? And then you got Brian Rock, okay? That's the, the, the final member of the team, and, and he needs no other label. I mean, possibly like the buffalo plaid shirts every time he talks, but we're not going to get into that. He would argue that Brian Rock and Good Looking are both about him, but let's not get into it now. But I'm grateful that you're with us. Welcome to all campuses and network churches today. Special shout out to St. Croix today. Grateful that you're with us um, in this place. And so um, you know Brian Rock because he brought week one of this message series called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And so we are looking at what does the story of God look like um, as it walks through the Bible. All of the stories of the Bible are woven in to what we're calling The Greatest Story Ever Told. And so he started week one. Um, if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go online and listen to it. But he started by talking about creation. Uh, this understanding about the way that it ought to be. The way things should be. And I think it's important to understand the way things ought to be for us to understand the way things are. You have to understand scene one, chapter one, to understand scene two, right? If you look at a movie, to understand scene two, you have to hear scene one. And so he started by looking at creation. And we find in creation, we find God, he is creating out of nothing. He is creating out of absolutely nothing. We find him creating light and, and the skies and the universe and the stars and the animals and the sea and the land and, and everything that scurries on the ground, I think, was one of the parts of it. But we see God creating and observing. Creating and observing. There's a rhythm to his creation. He says, let there be light, and light comes out, and he sees that it is good. He says, let there be land, and he sees the land, and he sees that it is good. There's this rhythm back and forth of God creating and observing that it was good. We, we kind of wrapped it up by seeing that God had his crowning achievement in creating you and me. By creating humanity, mankind, Adam and Eve, man and woman in the garden. And the reason it's his crowning achievement is because they're made in his image. They're made in God's image. He created you and me in his image, which is awesome. We also talked about how in this creation picture, inside of this perfect moment with God, we find that, that there's a perfect relationship between man and God. A perfect relationship between man and himself, man and others, and man and creation. That's kind of the, the picture of the story of creation. And everything was the way that it ought to be. The way that God had intended it to be. And we know that it was perfect because uh, we know it because God and Adam and Eve walked in the garden and Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed as they walked in the garden together. 
and to experience this kind of, of trust and vulnerability, I don't find it anywhere in our current day and age. And so perfection was there. To experience that kind of vulnerability and trust was perfect with God. And so that's the first two chapters of the Bible. So the whole Bible, first two chapters, God's perfect creation before mankind had any chance to mess it up in my Bible, it's one page. Right here, this is, this is how long perfection lasted in the story that is us and God. Two chapters. And so that's the opening scene. The scene closes with God talking to Adam and Eve and saying, you can eat from any of the trees in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the center of the garden. Stay away from that. And so it, it opens All is well in the garden. All is well in the world. People are good with God, with each other, with themselves, and with creation. It's beautiful. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Pretty simple. You would think, right? Perfection in this moment. God is good with everything. This vase represents the perfection, the perfect creation. It's the way that it was intended. It holds water. It can grow flowers, It's intact. Everything is the way that it ought to be. We must understand this beauty of creating, this rhythm of scene one to fully grasp the problem in scene two. And I'll just give a quick disclaimer. As we talked about creation, it was this beautiful, perfect, wonderful thing. And I'm picking up here in week two, scene two, and this is not as warm and fuzzy, okay? This is the scene where everything blows apart, Like, this is the scene that I would argue gives the reason for the hero. This is the conflict in the story of God and man. This is the conflict of life by which all the rest of the story is going to be written. All of the resolution and restoration and redemption is going to take place because of this scene in the story. We have to see how good things are how good things are, how perfect everything is, so that we can understand how bad things are. This is a broken vase. These are the shards of the broken vase that we must deal with today in light of scene two, in light of where we're at. Because in scene two, everything breaks apart and falls apart. It's the reason for the rest of the story. I think when we think about the perfection of creation and the brokenness of the fall, I think when we walk into this moment of brokenness, we start to see something a little bit more familiar in our everyday lives, don't we? We see something we recognize in this story where the reality of all the things that we're currently living in begin. We're going to take a look at the third chapter of Genesis immediately following creation. But before we get there, let me give you a little bit of context. Right before this, um, Adam and Eve are, are living. They're, hang, they're hanging out. They're enjoying life. Everything is good to go. And they decide they're going to go on a walk. And so they're walking around. And where do you think they're walking to? They're walking to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Obviously, because they're human beings. You can have all of this. Don't eat from this tree we should probably go check it out. We should probably walk over there and just see what it's all about over there. Absolutely. They're walking over. They're human beings. They're walking to the center of the garden to look at the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one thing that God has asked them not to do. It's like when you tell your kids, okay, kids, I turned the oven on. Stay away from it. It's hot. 
in all corners of the earth, they will come running to as close to the oven. I'm not touching it. Is is this too close? And you just want to like grab their hand and just like, well, I don't know. I guess it was. But they've got to be right next to it. It's human nature to live this way. And so we find Adam and Eve going to the oven. Just got to see if it's hot, you know. I don't understand why that is, but it's part of our wiring. It says that Adam and Eve, they walked to the tree, and Eve was deceived by a snake. The snake told Eve that God just doesn't want you to know the difference between good and evil. He doesn't want your mind to be opened because he doesn't want you to be like God. And so we pick up the story in this moment where Eve begins to think through the process. What if I just touch it quickly? What if I just taste a little bit of it? What if I just hold it in my hands? What, 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 if, what if, what if, what if? And so we'll pick up in verse 6. The verse will be on the screen as well. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked through the garden in the cool of the day and they hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He's God, he knows where they're at. But he called out and said, God, where are you? And the man answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God replied, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. And then the Lord God turned to the woman and said, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, the snake deceived me and I ate it. A couple of quick things about this section of the story is Eve ate some of the fruit and she gave it to her husband who was where? With her. I think as guys, we kind of like to think when we read this story like, darn it, Eve. How dare you eat the fruit? And yet we read in the story, where was Adam? Right next to her. Like, what is he doing? Like, oh, what's going on over here? I don't, really, I don't really know what's going on in this place. Oh, look, a squirrel. That's kind of cool. Look, look at all over the place. Oh, my wife's talking to a snake. That seems totally normal. I think I'm going to go back to my business over here. He was right there. He was right there with Eve as she was deceived by the snake. He may have been daydreaming or staring off into space. I know many women in here don't find that hard to believe. But we like to think that it was just Eve, and yet it says that Adam was right there with her. Right there next to her. And right after they, they ate the fruit that God had commanded them not to eat from, it says that their eyes were open and they were afraid because they realized that they were naked. And in this moment, the way that it ought to be, the way that it should be, the way that God designed it to be, this whole perfection thing and how people were good with God and good with each other and good with themselves and good with creation, it's broken. We're left with this. We're left with the shards, the chunks, the pieces, the brokenness 
of what God had intended for our lives. What I also want us to notice in this story is kind of what I alluded to a little bit ago. It wasn't an accident. Adam and Eve didn't accidentally stumble and trip and grab the fruit and it fell into their mouth. That's not how it worked. They didn't accidentally trip and break the perfection that God had designed for us. They intentionally sought it out. They went to the tree. They listened to the snake. They grabbed the fruit. They ate it and they gave it to one another. They couldn't just be naked and unashamed and awesome, experiencing God and all of paradise with each other, everything they could ever want or imagine or hope for. They couldn't stay there. They had to go and have the one thing that wasn't good for them. Starting to sound familiar? They had to touch the oven. They had to hold the fruit. They had to listen to the snake. They had to taste the fruit. They had to do the one thing they weren't supposed to do. And in this moment, the rhythm of God creating and seeing that it's good and then its experience with humanity is broken. God's perfect plan is completely broken. And we see immediately following, after they have tasted the fruit, we immediately see that mankind, human beings, are no longer good with God, with each other, with themselves, or with creation. It's a full-blown explosion of perfection. They realize that they were naked, and what do they feel? Ashamed and afraid. Because they're experiencing sin for the very first time. Hell has just become a reality. Eternal separation from God has just become a possibility, and they are afraid and ashamed of themselves. And so when God comes into the garden after they have eaten and calls out to them, he finds them in the woods wearing fig leaf clothing because they are fearful and they are ashamed. And in this moment, we realize that the relationship, the perfect relationship between man and himself is broken. He is now feeling fear and shame for the very first time. And God reaches out even one more time. He says, where are you? He knew where they were, but he said, where are you? Have you eaten from the tree I told you not to? And then we find, we find Adam immediately blames someone. Who does he blame? God. He blames God first. Immediately he says, did you eat from the the tree? Yeah, I did, but the woman that you put in here with me. This is your fault, God. Way to go. Beautiful, brilliant plan. The woman that you put in here gave me some of the stinking fruit and I ate it. I was an innocent bystander. I was watching the squirrels daydreaming. It was no big deal. Lie. And then quicker than you can say fig leaf clothes, he picks his wife up and chucks her right under the bus as well. Runs her over, backs over her again. Not only was it your fault, God, that you put this woman in here, but she gave it to me, and I didn't know what was going on. I was just standing there. And then Eve's like, well, it's about time for me to get on the action, right? And she says, it wasn't me. The snake deceived me. And we find this progression The relationship between man and himself is broken as he feels fear and ashamed. And the relationship between man and God is broken as he blames God for eating the fruit. And the relationship between man and his wife, man and other people, is broken as he blames Eve and throws her under the bus. And then Eve completes the whole scenario and breaks the perfect relationship between man and creation by blaming creation, by blaming the snake. 
And so begins this brand new rhythm of humanity. Where wholeness, harmony, rhythm, love, vulnerability, trust, and perfection once were, we now find brokenness and isolation and hurt and pain and shame and fear. And where did it come from? It came from our desire for autonomy. It came from our desire to be independent, to receive wisdom. And out of that, our opportunity for a perfect relationship with anything is fractured. It's broken, fractured, never to be put back into perfection. Humanity has fallen. The sin has entered the world. Hell has become a reality. And human beings are left to, to live their lives hurting and struggling. Where perfect harmony and peace and love existed between people, we now find war and murder and racism division, divorce, abuse, and broken families. Where perfect harmony existed in love and peace between man and nature, we find alienation and pollution and extinction. Where perfect harmony, love, and peace existed before between people and themselves, we find a lot of stuff. We find fear and shame and depression and anxiety, insecurity, isolation, And that's the way that it is. It's no longer the way that it ought to be. This is the way that it is. It's the way that it is, and there's no one there to blame. Everybody's pointing fingers at everybody else. Who done it? They done it. Not this one. Someone else is responsible. The honeymoon is over. And we find ourselves in the midst of the honeymoon being over, still trying to scrape together the pieces of our lives and put it back together in some semblance of a life. And we try to do it on our own power. But we can't do it. We can't fix it. We do a terrible job at fixing it on our own. Has anybody ever broke something and really wished you wouldn't have broke it? Maybe it's just me. I've broken a lot of things in my life. I like to tell my family that I have the spiritual gift of breaking stuff. Unfortunately, that's more true than I'd like to admit. But when I was a kid, I had what you'd call a little bit of a temper, okay? So it's a safe place to share, right? I'll take your silence as a no, but I'm going to continue on sharing anyway. Uh, I was nine years old, and my sister was three years older than me, and she liked to push my buttons, and she was very, very good at it, surprisingly. And so there was one day where my ticket got pulled, and she was just on me like green on grass, man. And so she was picking on me and messing up my hair and, and screwing around the stuff on my dresser, and I kept throwing her out of my room. She kept coming back, and the final straw that broke the camel's back was well, she came in with a squirt bottle full of water and started spraying me with water. And little old nine-year-old Austin snapped, okay? And I was much larger than I am now. I was huge back then. Um, and so I, uh, I just decided like, this is, this is unacceptable. And so I pushed her out of my room and out of just a fury of nine-year-old anger, I punched a hole in the wall right in front of my bedroom. And what do nine-year-olds do right after they punch a hole in the wall? They cry. That's what you do because I'm a big tough man and that's what I do. And so I ran back into my room and I slammed my door and I started bawling on my bed. And so I was laying in there and all of a sudden I stopped crying thinking, my parents are going to see the hole in the wall. What am I to do? And so I was racking my brain. I don't know how to fix drywall. The hole is 
not huge, but they're definitely going to notice it. And so I was racking my brain. I was going through my desk trying to figure things out. And I came to what I believe to be a brilliant plan. See, I can tell you guys have broken stuff before. A brilliant plan came to my mind. So I went and I grabbed a notebook and I took a piece of notebook paper and I stapled it over the hole. Mind you, I did not say printer paper. It is not white. It is lined notebook paper. That is not the paint style that my parents had in our house. So that's how it was. I stapled a piece of paper over the hole. Never to be seen again. Perfect fix, absolutely. It's a funny story, isn't it? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that somewhere in my nine-year-old mind, I thought that notebook paper was a sufficient fix for a hole punched in the wall. What's not so funny about this story is that we as adults are that nine-year-old kid still. I think all of us today are continuing to cover our entire lives with notebook paper. We're finding the holes in our life. We're finding the brokenness that we feel. We're finding the shame and the fear and the gaps in our life. And we are covering our entire life with lined notebook paper. And we think we've got it figured out. The problem is, is that when you take notebook paper and you try to cover something that's broken, we still know it's broken. It didn't fix the vase. The pieces are still shattered. The vase still does not function. It still does not work. And yet somewhere in our mind, we believe that if we can't see it, that it doesn't exist. Even when we cover our lives with the notebook paper of life, the fact that we know that brokenness is there, that there is hurting, that the harmony of perfection is gone, we know something in our soul just isn't right, don't we? Ecclesiastes 3 says this, It says that our souls still somehow remember the perfection of creation because God has written eternity on our hearts and we cannot fully understand or know what God has done from the beginning. We know that something's not right. Romans 8 says that we groan in eager longing, a longing with all of creation for things to be restored. We long for things to be restored. We know deep in our soul on a gut level that something's not right. And I think that when we feel that brokenness, that place in our soul, that we feel like something is not right, I think we run to a few different places in our world. The first is we run to ourselves. We run to ourselves because we've convinced ourselves that a better version of ourselves will solve the problems. If I can just get to 2.0 of Austin, then I'll feel fulfilled. Maybe 2.0, 3.0, 10.0, 12.0. But the problem is, is that whatever .0 you were at 10 years ago, you were hoping to be something different 10 years later, and here you are 10 years later, and you're still a little disappointed, aren't you? I know I am. I had an opportunity to go to a retreat this past fall about how to finish your life well. And the first question that they asked me was, why are you here? My answer to that question was, I'm 35 years old, and I expected I'd be better than I am. I get it. I've always thought that a better version of myself would fill the brokenness that I feel. But we're still a little disappointed in the version that we're at. We perpetually continue to push forward this idea that if we can just make our personal advancement our God, then we'll be good. But there's never going to be a good enough version of yourself to fill the gaps that we feel, to fulfill the brokenness. There's not enough sheets of paper to cover the brokenness to fill the gap that we feel. 
A better version of you, a better version of me solves nothing. And so that's the first thing. We run to ourselves. The second place that we run is to other people. We run to relationships. We run to instant gratification. We run to other people to fulfill us and to fill us and to to fix the brokenness that we experience. I have the incredible privilege of walking through this life with an incredible woman. Her name is Callie, and she's my wife, and I absolutely love her. She is ridiculously awesome, okay? She is absolutely amazing. I know I'm a little biased, but I think she's absolutely amazing. She's not in the room, and so I'm not just trying to get brownie points, but she's probably going to hear it eventually, so it's still worth saying, absolutely. But she's great. I absolutely love her. She is the most beautiful woman in the world, and she is the greatest thing that God, outside of my salvation, has ever given to me. And we work well together. And I love her more than any other person on the planet. But she does not completely, complete me. She does not complete me. Much to the demise of Jerry Maguire, she does not complete me. She doesn't complete me and she has not fixed my brokenness. She has not satisfied my soul's every deepest desire. Yes, I believe that God has called her and I together to do this thing called life, to fulfill what he has called us to do in our lives. Callie is a great teammate to go through life with, but she makes a terrible God. A terrible God because her purpose is not to fix me and to fulfill me and to satisfy me. She was never intended to do that. And neither was your spouse and neither are your kids and neither are your parents and neither is any other relationship in your life. So many of us put this, you complete me, you fulfill me, parameter and expectation about, around the relationships in our lives. It is not theirs to fix. It's God's to fix. It is only in him that we can find perfection again. The last place that we run to is the world. This one's probably a little bit more familiar to many of us. Run to the world. We run to to job and status and promotion, to popularity, to more money, to, to, to bigger 401k, to our kids going to great schools. Some of us run to drugs and alcohol to numb the shame that we feel. But just like ourselves and just like other people, Stuff makes a terrible God too. Stuff makes a terrible God too. It doesn't fix the problem. It might numb it for a moment, but it does not fix the problem. We try to fill the gap that we feel with worldly solutions all the time, but we make terrible gods. This is so important because every time we try to fill the gap that we feel with something else or someone else or ourselves, We hang another piece of notebook paper up in our life. We cover up another piece of brokenness. And in this moment, the reason this is important is because every time you hang a piece of paper over the hole you just punched in the hole of your, in the wall of your life, every time you do that, we continue to convince ourselves that we're back in the garden, that we're back in perfection. That we don't have to look at the brokenness, so we must be back the way it ought to be. And yet we're living in the moment, we're lying to ourselves because we're living in the midst of sin and brokenness, not in the midst of perfection and creation. We live inside of this moment after the fruit was eaten, eternal separation from God. Hell becomes a reality, and that's the reality that we currently live in. We are all running around, stapling up notebook paper, on the holes in our lives as fast as we possibly can 
to avoid having to see the brokenness, to feel the brokenness, to feel the shame, to feel the hurt. So my question for you and my question for me as as I walk through this, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to us. What is your notebook paper? What are you using to cover up the holes that you feel? What are you using to cover the shame that you feel? Are you using other people? Are you running to yourself? Are you running to status, to, to promotions? Are you, are you pushing your agenda on your children? What is the notebook paper that you're using in your life to fix the brokenness, to cover the brokenness that you feel? I hope that we'll take an inventory of our lives in this moment. Because we are all stapling up paper on the walls of our lives. But the only one who can fix the real problem is God. But we're not going to feel that resolution today. I'm going to leave us in that, in that moment. For redemption to actually take place, we need to let God be God. Because he's the only one who can actually fix the brokenness, repair the problem that we feel. And so I want to invite you to come back for the rest of this series, because there is light at the end of this tunnel. As we sit here today, in the reality of the brokenness that we feel, there is redemption possible. There is hope at the end of this tunnel. But I think we need to understand scene two before we get to scene three. Don't run to the resolution. Understand the profoundness of the brokenness that we feel, the situation that we're in, because the greatness of redemption is not nearly as great if you don't understand the greatness of the need. So I challenge us to just continue to think through where are we putting paper up over the holes of our life? What can we do to continually refine ourselves and move closer and closer to who God has created us to be? Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you today. God, in the midst of of a darker moment, God, as we we look into our lives, as we look into the brokenness that we feel, God, we apologize for the way that we screwed up the things that you had created, the rhythm of perfection that you created. And God, we look forward to figuring out the resolution, to hearing the restoration that you've given us. But God, today I hope that you will give us an opportunity to walk through the inventory of our lives, to start to take down the paper of the walls of our lives, God, that we'd begin to look at the brokenness we feel, that we'd experience the brokenness in the places of our lives. God, we love you and we're grateful that you don't abandon us in these moments as we do a self-reflection, a self-inventory of who we are and where we've missed the mark. You continue to love us and claim us and draw near to us. It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message moved you in any way, be sure to subscribe to the podcast to never miss your dose of encouragement. You can also follow us on social media with the handle at I Am Embrace. Again, we are thrilled you took the time to join us today. And if you live anywhere near one of our locations in South Dakota and Minnesota, we would love to have you join us in person. You can find out more and start a conversation at IamEmbrace.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.